Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. It's the end of an era. After 20 years and nigh on 350 Formula One starts, Kimi Raikkonen is hanging up his race boots. He'll be much missed. And as we head into his final race weekend in Abu Dhabi, it's time to hear from the Iceman himself. Everything comes to end at some point. Sensational bit of passing there by Kimi Raikkonen. He's only 21 years old. Oh, and they nearly touch. Can Raikkonen sweep in? Yes, yeah! What a brilliant move! Kimi Raikkonen wins the US Grand Prix and breaks the record for the longest gap between race wins. I wouldn't change a single thing. I mean, even if it would mean more wins or more championship, it's the end of F1, but I'm looking more forward to whatever will come afterwards. Welcome everyone to Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. It seems just like yesterday that Kimi was lining up in Melbourne to make his F1 debut back in 2001. A fresh-faced 21-year-old with only one season of car racing under his belt, he took it all in his stride and finished the race in a remarkable sixth place. It was an indication of what was to come, and come it did. Kimi went on to win 21 Grand Prix, and the summit of his career was undoubtedly winning the 2007 world title with Ferrari. But there was always more to him than his on-track exploits. Have you seen that picture of him riding a rubber dolphin in Ibiza, for example? His approach was unique, and he was much loved as a result, both within F1 and by the sport's millions of fans. I sat down with Kimi to reflect on what's been an extraordinary and brilliant career, and he was thoughtful, insightful and funny. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, Kimmy, it's great to be speaking to you. The Formula One journey's coming to an end. Has the magnitude of that hit you yet? I don't think there's any any big big, big uh, things about it. You know, everything comes to end at some point, and uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. You know, I'm counting races for a long time already. So, you know. Um, Obviously, the traveling is a big part, and if it would be just racing hours, it would be nice. But I think whatever you do, there is always a good and bad side of it. And um, you know, I'm looking forward to not having the schedule that dictates everything. So I don't. For me, it, it doesn't feel any weird. Plus, I have experience already two years so obviously I was doing rally on that time but uh, and some other things but uh, yeah I mean life as you know it is never going to be the same again does that scare you in any way no why would it scare me I know my life and uh, you know this has never been my life Kimmy I've got to interrupt you there it's never been your life but uh, I travel to the races as well it's really hard for it not to be your life because yeah of the but it's never been a main thing in my life and that's uh, I think it might be different to many others you know I mean my life outside has been always the most important thing for me and uh, yeah it has taken most of the time in in last 20 years but uh, it hasn't been the most, let's say, important thing in many ways. Yes, I enjoy racing and this, and uh, otherwise I wouldn't have done it so long time, but I appreciate my own time much more. You know, like it's more important for me than anything else. How is this retirement different to the one in 2009? Well, I think endless amount of different. You know, obviously, I have family, I have uh, reasons to be home and you know obviously the end end is completely different in many ways obviously it's different circumstances different this uh, I think I'm a different point in my life also did that always feel temporary whereas this feels permanent no I, I, 
if somebody would said to me that I need to bet money if I come back, I wouldn't have put any money on it. So, you know, I wouldn't, it wasn't in my mind to come back. But then obviously for many different reasons, I end up back and um, yeah, here we are. And what's your family's attitude towards you leaving Formula One? I think my mom, mom for sure is happy. I mean, it's been asking probably the last 15 years that if I stop already, but because uh, she's not, uh, let's say, uh, she's quite scared on things <laughs> in racing. Uh, but um, obviously my own family, kids and wife, uh, the kids are looking forward. They've been asking for many times and uh, I'm sure they are very happy when I'm home. Because uh, they want dad home. Yeah, for sure, and I can understand that I want to be there. So, you know. so can we looking at it as a whole? How do you sum up your Formula One career? I mean, I, I nothing to complain. You know, I cannot. Um, I had a good run, and um, I said it many. I wouldn't change a single thing. I mean, even if it would mean more wins or more championship, I mean, I'm happy what I achieve, and uh, I cannot complain really. How has your relationship with Formula One changed over the years? Not much, really. <laughs> I mean, I still enjoy the racing. I still don't enjoy the other things. Um, um, I mean, in the end, most of the people, you know, there's a lot of same people when I started. Like, you see the same people pretty much every time. And even over the years, there's some change, some new one comes. But uh, then when new ones come, they usually stay for many years. So... You know, like everybody knows each other more or less, uh, at least on the face, you know, here when you walk. So the job hasn't changed much. We go different countries uh, sometimes when it's a new race, but everything is basically the same. Wherever we go, it's a copy-paste. And uh, I, don't, I don't know, my relationship to F1 hasn't really <laughs> felt any different. Well, knowing what you know now, yeah. what advice would you give to that 21-year-old who came in with Sauber? Like I said, I'm happy how I did it because I did it in many, many ways in my own terms. So, uh, you know, obviously I had to fight against it a bit few times and um, I, don't, I don't know really. I don't think there's advice that you can give, you know. You have to obviously learn everything was new, everything was completely different that I, I was doing for Moreno. You know, I was never close to even F1 tracks or even seeing the car before I first drove so it's completely different story these days usually the the drivers that come they most likely been racing in uh, Formula 3 or 2 or so they've been involved you know on the weekend they seen they they seen how it works they are often involved in some sorts of junior categories with the, involved with the teams and uh, you know, maybe they visit the, the factories, they do some running and things. I, for me, it was completely new, new thing. So um, just do your best. I enjoy. Kimmy, it's funny that you mentioned Formula Renault because back then, I remember there was this Ferrari around you because no driver had done so few races before Formula One. Can he manage? Can he cope mm. with it? And then here we are now, 20 years later, and you've done more Grand Prix than anyone in the history of the sport. So you've gone from the, almost the fewest to the most. It's... Yeah, I mean, obviously how it ended up to be happening to come in F1, it happened very quickly. Um, when I was still in Kogart, so as a, as a time was two years, but actually I did only one year of full year of racing and even in 99 I did uh, yeah, I started the Formula Renault Championship and then we stopped it after I think three races and then did the Winter Series but even that year when I had nothing else to do I did some go-kart races for for have something to do so yeah I had like 23 races done so it wasn't a lot but uh, you know for, for many Anyways, it worked out okay. Obviously, there was a question about super license, and even this day, I don't know, some people say that I had it for one race, some four races, and I had no idea, and I didn't really care. I was For me, it was as long as I got it for, for to start the year, it was okay, and then we'll see what happens. So it's ready, and in Australia, it is... Schumacher leads, brilliant start, brilliant start, hacking it up into second position, sensational.
sensational bit of passing there by Kimi Raikkonen, the Finn. He's only 21 years old. There he is in the Sauber for, with the Ferrari engine. And it's his first Grand Prix. It's only his 24th car race, and he's been a sensation in practice. Were you ready for Formula One? Yeah, I didn't. I don't know how I would be more ready or or not enough ready. You know, there was obviously there was those tests was testing, so we did quite. A, I did obviously that my first test was three days, and then there was another. I think one day or something or two days or whatever it was, and then there was a winter testing, and there was a lot more testing done. So it was obviously slightly different than these days. Now it's whatever it's three days these days and uh, it's not a lot running so at least I was able to run the car a lot many days so are you ever ready or something that you haven't done you don't have the experience but then that's the same for everybody in the end if you you only got the got the experience when you start racing in that category or whatever it is cast your mind back to Mugello September 2000 first test in a Formula One car Does, is that still ingrained on your mind what was the hardest thing for you to get used to I don't remember everything but uh, I remember especially the first day uh, I think the hardest was it's not the speed because I don't think the speed okay on, on beginning it feels fast like the out of the corners but you get used to it somewhat quickly to it I think the speed what things happened was odd on the first day because everything kind of jumped on your face and things happened a bit too fast. And the braking was different. Uh, physically, it was uh, a lot harder. Uh, no hey, Mugello's not easy, is it? Yeah, <laughs> what a track to we start. didn't have a power steering so in the car, so it yeah. was almost impossible on the, the double right-handers. You know, you turn and kind of lock your elbows on the cockpit and hope that you turn enough because there was no way to move the wheel on the, once you went through the corners. But yeah, the, the difficult part was that everything kind of happened too fast. But then after the first day, sleeping one night, everything kind of slowed down. And obviously we're going faster than what I was used to. But it, it like made sense. Like the corners didn't jump on your face and uh, kind of, I guess, your brain got used to it. And... Uh, and, and over, then it the, felt lazy. over the 345 races plus that have come since, do you ever get properly used to that speed? No, it feels very normal, honestly. Like it doesn't feel any different than driving, I don't know, 100 or 80 or whatever on the road. Because you do it so much that it's, you only really feel the speed when something goes wrong. When you go off and you have no control and you know, you can slow down, then you realize how fast we're going. But uh, like it's almost like you watch on TVs, it doesn't look that fast, really. But go and watch next to the some some faster corner or anywhere, it it looks a lot more fast. Even for ourselves, if I go and watch, it looks much faster than it feels to me. I guess a street track heightens the senses a bit. I mean, the walls are more closer, but uh, I mean the the speed. I, like after some break, I don't know, summer break, winter break, the first time you kind of go full speed, it kind of feels a bit fast, but then it lasts like a few seconds and it goes away. But uh, it's, it's such a normal thing when you, like I think it's everything you do, you get used to it. And uh, usually when something goes wrong, then you, <laughs> then you realize the speed. Kimmy, your success was front-loaded really with 18 of your 21 wins and the world title coming before your first retirement in 2009 why was that i don't know i mean i guess for many different reasons i uh some of the years obviously the car was uh, good um, we got better end results um i don't know i mean obviously i was a lot younger than i'm now you know 20 years makes difference in you for sure. I'm not as fast as I was when I was, I don't know, 25. Do, or do you really mean that? You're, you're not as fast now as you were when you were 25? I'm sure I'm not. I mean, if, I, I don't know. I don't feel it, but I'm sure something happens. You know, it's impossible that nothing happens. I mean, then there is obviously other reasons for, I don't know, cars are every year a different car. Um, you know, tires, this and that. Some years even in, in those days, seem to fit a bit better for you on, I don't know, either beginning or 
later of the season. And Kimmy, it's interesting that you mentioned tyres there because I want to take you back to 2005, 6, 7. Um, you were devastatingly fast in that McLaren of 2005 and 6. Reliability let you down, otherwise I'm sure you'd have won the championship. But you then switched to Ferrari in 2007 and it seemed like you were never as comfortable in that car. Why was it? Was it that change from Michelin to Bridgestone? Um, I don't think it's it's as simple. Uh, I think the tyres for sure had a lot to do. Obviously, the cars are different between the teams and uh, this and that. But I think if if the obviously in 2007 everybody had the same tyres, and then what happens then? Obviously, they don't push as much, and you know it doesn't matter for manufacturer that much. You know, you give everybody the same deal with it and even year before I'm sure the Bridgestones were very good when it was still a war between Michelin and uh, Bridgestone and I'm sure those tyres were a lot different than the ones that everybody had in 2007 but uh, I'm sure that's one of them because they, they are a lot different tyres but what I mean on that if they would be still the 2006 tyres I think would have been very good also I don't think there was such a big difference between Michelin and Bridgestone when they were really fighting against each other, then there was one kind of you give it to everybody and you know, mm. that's it. So. Was that peak Kimi Raikkonen, 2-5, 2-6? I remember Juan Pablo Montoya telling me, he said, Kimi, <laughs> he's ridiculously fast. And um, he was your teammate. I mean, I was doing well in 2003. Obviously, our car was probably as, uh, not as quick as uh, we would have needed, but... Um, uh, 2007, I don't think we did too badly, otherwise we would have won the championship. So obviously it took a while to get used to it. And then especially the later part of the year, we we were very, very fast and especially in the race conditions always. And um, I mean, in Lotus times, I think um, I was very, very happy with things, uh, especially 2013 before they changed the tires again and even after that. but. Uh, you know, it depends on many different things. It's not as simple as it uh, as it looks outside sometimes, and uh, it's small things that can make a huge difference in the outcome. But uh, some of the Ferraris later on, yeah, I was happy with things. Just things didn't always fall in the right places over the whole weekend, but uh, that's how it goes. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. He came here third out of three. He's going away in the lead. He is going to be world champion. Kimi Raikkonen wins the Brazilian Grand Prix. Okay, it's all over. Hamilton seven. By my calculations, we win the championship by one point. How did that change your life? I don't feel that it changed my life. It's probably changed more how people look to you. Doesn't really make any sense, but you know <laughs> that's that's what happens because maybe they look more what you achieved than anything else. But uh, obviously, people probably recognize me more, and I had to do more things uh, for a while. But uh, I wouldn't say that it really changed my private life. But as we look back on your career, how important is it to be say, yeah, I won the world championship, I achieved a life goal. Obviously, it's nice. It's something why we are, why all of us are here. And unfortunately, only one wins every year. And uh, lately, it's been, uh, or oh, if you take the history, there's a lot of same people who's been winning most of them. So um, 
you know, it's something I always wanted to do and I achieved it. Uh, and also with Ferrari, I think it was nice to win with them, definitely. Um, but I don't know, it looks better on the paper that it makes any difference in the life. In many ways, you know, people, again, people might look you differently because you have won rather than if you don't. But does it really make any sense? I don't know. <laughs> Are you surprised that you're Ferrari's most recent world champion? Yeah, but that's just how it happened. You know, they come close uh, sometimes. But when I left there in 2018, I said, oh, I wish them all the best and hope they will change that soon. But it hasn't happened yet. But maybe, who knows, maybe next year or in the near future. Do you think your talent deserves more than one world title? I don't care, really. I mean, I said it always that I don't, I wouldn't change even if I wouldn't mean that I win more races or championships because change is one thing and I don't think we would be here today. So and my life would probably be different, but uh, I tried and we failed a few times, but uh, that's a part of racing. So if I was to ask you to pick one season, is it 2007 or is that too obvious? One season that really stands out? Obviously because we are here to try to win the championship, so it's quite obvious answer. But uh, I mean, I had good good years, many years, maybe even even the years that, uh, or especially races that maybe nobody noticed, but as a team, we knew that it was good for me because you started somewhere and you did something that we didn't expect. But... Uh, so there's a lot of, if you end up finishing, I don't know, fifth or wherever, you might have done a very good job. But, uh, you know, also those, there's a lot of phrases like that. Because we're talking now at the end, have there been any moments, any discussions with teams that we didn't know about at the time that you can share now? Did you get close to moving to Mercedes? Did you get close to being... Schumacher's teammate at Ferrari, is there anything like that we can talk about? I'm sure there's a lot of what we could talk about or, or, or people outside generally doesn't know, but I have no interest to you know, even talk about it. It's, you know, I have, you, know, you hear a lot, you see a lot. I don't get involved in most of the things, so that I don't feel that it's nothing to do with me, so... I'm sure over the years there's a lot of different discussions and options, but uh, you know, I chosen things that felt right to me on that time, and like I said, I wouldn't change the thing. Kimmy, you say you didn't get involved in in that side of it, but you must have been steering the direction of the of the um, the conversations. Did you know? Did you quite enjoy the silly season? Right, what's happening next year? What are we doing? No, I'm never into those. Because if you're into rumors, you have nothing else. But you're time driving. to do than <laughs> looking the rumors. So I'll take it as it comes. And uh, I know a lot of things, but I have no really interest to get involved. Kimi Raikkonen, 23 years old, wins his first Grand Prix. What a start to the 2003 Formula One season! Fantastic. Kimi Raikkonen wins the US Grand Prix and breaks the record for the longest gap between race wins. Grande Kimi, grande Kimi. Yeah, thank you. Finally. 21 wins. Which was the best? Somebody asked me a while ago, but that's, I think the most important obviously was to win uh, the wins that came with the championship because they, as an end result, they were more important, maybe. Or they might be more important to win as an end result uh, and looking at the championship than others, but I think they're all different. And some came more easy, some came more, much more difficult. And the first win is, is uh, it's nice because you have never done it. Uh, the last win was very, very nice because it took a while again. And... Uh, I don't know. It's impossible to say what, what was nice. I mean, 2005 in Suzuka was a hard for win, and uh, we came on the last lap. So, does it make it better than others? I, I don't know really. The initial euphoria of that one—it's hard to forget, isn't it? Yeah, but then I think any of the wins, you know, like 
because obviously we worked the whole weekend for it and you're never really sure until the finish we learned that we missed some of the wins by some some reasons either I, I the first one that I almost got it was some oil on the track and few laps to go and suspensions fail you know all kind of things can happen we've seen in the, in the, in the history of F1 so you cannot never be certain that even if you have 30 second lead that you know things might not go wrong so I think you always wait until and then it's great which has been your favorite car probably the 2005 um, McLaren I mean, 2003 was also good, but it wasn't, let's say, fast enough. Six was good, but the engine wasn't probably where it should have been. Seven was good, Ferrari, Lotus. Kimmy, you finished third in 2012 in the World Championship in the Lotus. Yeah, and I probably wouldn't finish third also if I'd done all the races in 13. But uh, yeah, they were good cars, you know, I enjoyed yeah. And it doesn't always mean that the end result needs to be the win or something that you enjoy. It might be a great car, but for whatever reason, it's not still fast enough. And Or some odd things happen over the year. But uh, it's been, you know, a lot of good cars, a lot of average cars and some bad cars, some cars that never even made it to race. But, uh, you know... All of uh, them driven very quickly by you. Um, some days, at least. <laughs> <laughs> if I was to ask you, where did you generate your speed? Is there one particular part of the track or the corner where you, when you look at the data, your teammates are all going, oh God, I don't know how he's done that. Honestly, I've never been that much into, obviously I see the data and that, but I always try to more concentrate on, on my own things and then the end result is what it is. But uh, it's hard to try to explain to anybody because I think it happens automatically if I would need to start thinking that, okay, I kind of like people when they ask that, okay, where where do you know, like you have a break, you know, you watch something that you break on this time. And I think if I had a, I don't know, whatever it would be, some marking on a track or wherever it is, I think it's, if you need to watch something and break, always, I don't think it happens automatic enough and then it would never be fast enough. I think it's just pure feeling. You kind of see the corners there and you break when you feel that's right and it kind of comes automatically. And that's the only way of, I think, how things happen. So it's also very difficult to try to explain somebody that, oh yeah, I do this or that. If somebody asks what gear I am on some corner, half of the times I wouldn't know. Because you do it by feeling. And it's not like you watch the... The number on the, on the dash that oh yeah I'm a right gear because then something is it's not uh, which leads right. me to ask were you always straight with your teammates you know would you share would you share data would you share what gear you were in even if I mean everybody can see it as long as you know, I've never been in a team that the other guy wouldn't be able to see your data that I think as a team it would never be good because then you have two teams in one team and it's never going to be healthy or it's never going to take the team forward. But uh, I never had anything to hide, honestly. I don't mm. I don't remember at, at least that I would try Even to Even with Alonso at Ferrari, for example? It was no. still an open two-way? Yeah, I don't. I, there was nothing, nothing like that. What about engines? You've raced a lot of different ones. Uh, V10s, V8s, of course, the hybrid now. Which one have you enjoyed the most? I actually enjoyed that. Obviously, when this hybrid came, they were at Ferrari. We were not on a level where we should have been. So in the beginning, the drivability probably wasn't as good as we used to and all these things. But let's say the second year onwards, they improved a lot. So the hybrid is your answer? I like because they're not so noisy, honestly. Because as a working, is much nicer. You know, when it's testing or something, it's it's not that crazy noise all the time. So we kind of... You can actually have a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we kind of got used to Obviously, in the beginning, it's a bit weird. But also, when you're driving, it's it's quite nice, actually. Even we have earplugs and everything, they were still noisy ones. But I think once they got to the level that we are today, like pure driving, the sound is the different, but nothing else is really different. But I think, in a way, we could be still raising the V10s. People would just save a hell of a lot of money on the way, and uh, 
the end result wouldn't have changed. Yeah, but we'd all be more deaf. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I, I think maybe the, all the, all the, sometimes the changes are maybe not done for the right reason. Now, you've driven for four teams, uh, Sauber, McLaren, Ferrari and Lotus. Where were you happiest? I've been happy in all of the teams. Otherwise, I would never, never been in those uh, that long. Obviously, in Lotus, I was the okay, in Sauber, I was one year, but uh, I, I didn't leave because I wasn't happy. I got better offer from a bigger team, or I got offered have a better car. So obviously, I take the. But I was very happy that you know we had a great uh, car and we did a great result as a team. So. Lotus, I was a couple of years. It's a shame how we ended, and because I think there was a great group of people and team and everything. But I had a good fun there. I had, you know, um, everything. I mean, Ferrari, I would never come back if I didn't think that I'm happy there. So, but in the end, every team, most of them being different countries, based on different countries, um, Switzerland, Italy, and England, and obviously then it run, it's been run different way, try to achieve the same end result. But uh, I don't think there's one right way or wrong way to to do things. So. What were the biggest differences between McLaren and Ferrari? Probably the philosophy of how the running things, and you know the meetings and things. Obviously, language. Um, in the end, everybody speaks English at the at the at the meetings and stuff. But uh, it's just the nationalities to make it run differently, and maybe Italians are a bit more passionate about it on certain things than English teams. And uh, the, but like I said, it doesn't mean that they're doing right or wrong or the other people. So. I mean, they all have the good and bad sides in anything. But like I said, whatever you do, even if it's your favorite sport or something, there's probably you found some negative things because you maybe you have to drive there for an hour to do it or something. You know, it would be much nicer if it would be next to your home. So. Can I ask you a little bit more about McLaren? First up, Adrian Newey. How much did you enjoy working with him? Obviously, I was quite young at that time and... Um, Everybody knows how good cars is built for for a long, long time, and uh, it's still building a good car. So it was great, and I think on beginning of the year it was always that things were falling off, and then made them a little bit heavier to stay on the car. But I think it's the right way in the way to approach. Now obviously it's slightly different because the testing is much less. Those days we could do a lot of testing before the season, so. You have more time to fix things, but uh, it's easier to make the fast car reliable than the, say, the slower car fast. So I think I, I like the, the approach to push the limits, and uh, and obviously not every year was the uh, the greatest car, but when it was good, it was really good. And did you enjoy his competitive nature? He just seems yes, he makes great cars, but when he's sort of got his race engineer head on. It seems he wants to win as much as you, as, as the driver. Yeah, but I think everybody in any team you go, I don't, I don't think there's persons. It doesn't matter if it's the mechanic or the, the whoever or doing whatever they do in the team or at the at the factory. They all want to win. That's why they are there. And uh, obviously, you can see that people are much happier when they do well than when they do bad in any any team. Doesn't mean if you don't. Some teams, like for us, if we finish eight or any higher, it's it's almost like a win because it's we know, let's say in the normal circumstances, that's that's for us is a good race. And rather than if we finish, I don't know, outside of the points. Ron Dennis, how would you sum up your relationship with him? I think it was good. Obviously, there was a lot of said and written about it, but. Um, I think generally it was good. I, I had a, I think we had a good relationship. Obviously, we had some uh, things that we didn't agree, but uh, that happens, you know. It's. Uh, I think in, even after when I left and I saw him last time, so I, don't I think I was Lotus or something, and at the track, we would talk and joke about things. And uh, I think outside is a lot different than he's in. Uh, at a track or something, and um, I don't have anything bad to say. You know, like I said, we have our 
different opinions on certain things, but uh, you know, that's how it goes. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Right, Kimmy, let's talk teammates. Who was the fastest teammate you had? Hard to say. I mean, I think everybody's been fast, would be fastest. I think some of them were consistently faster than others and some on one lap fast, much faster than on, let's say, in a race distance. Can I take you driver by driver? So you come in in 2001, very young, Nick Heidfeld. I was obviously had a bit more experience. I think it was one year before. Obviously, I had no idea half of the tracks, or more than half, I had no clue. But uh, I think it was good because we were both young and start of the career. And, you know, for sure I had hard times to go as fast as him uh, certain days. And he was very strong in the race also. Like, uh, so, I don't, know. I don't know how to say fast or not fast. I think every driver is somewhat fast. Coulthard, David Coulthard. So you're now at McLaren. Mm. Again, David could have been very fast on certain tracks, certain situations, especially probably more like the tracks that you were. He liked it a bit different things than I'm probably more like understeer car and some circuits or conditions. It could, could fit very well. And, you know, obviously I had a lot of experience comparing to me when I came in and... Uh, also a great teammate. I mean, we had a good fun with him. So, As you say, he'd been there a long time. Did you feel that McLaren was his team when you arrived? I not really. I didn't. I, I doubt that I cared whose team I've been. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I never really, you know, it's the team tries to do the best that they can. And I feel that they more or less always been been somewhat fair always and obviously there's situations that you, they prefer other one to do better results because maybe a championship or something but I never be worried about something like that What about Montoya? Juan Pablo Montoya 2005-06 We had some heated moments probably before we end up on the teammates but uh, You certainly did <laughs> Yeah but I think it was good working relationship and then funnily afterwards I saw him I don't know some years ago maybe two years ago at some race and we did interview and we were laughing about things and you know obviously I saw him when I went in 2011 to do the NASCAR stuff and he was there obviously racing in the, in the sprint cup and came to talk to me and give me some advice and we had had very good you know, laugh and relationship afterwards. Obviously, when we were together and how it ended up uh, in 2006, I think so. Yeah. 2006 Indy, it all came to a head. Yeah, but I don't think it, it wasn't as much between us two than it was probably with, with him and the team in the end. So, I mean, we worked okay together and I don't feel that we had like really heated moments. Uh, that much so and like I said we laughed afterwards <laughs> about it but obviously we were both wanting to win and do well and then he had this uh, issue with his shoulder and this and that so it wasn't the easiest way but he could be very fast also when things could were. be very fast right what yeah. about De La Rosa he steps in for that second half of 2-6 yeah obviously we worked with Petro he was there quite a few years yeah as the test driver yeah, yeah. So we knew, and Alex was there. He did some of the races in 2005. I think both of them did. Yeah, in 2005 already. And uh, yeah, I think we had a great group and some good fun uh, off the track. And, uh, you know, it, it well obviously had knowledge of the car and they've been able to do some races and testing. So it was good. You then moved to Ferrari, Felipe Massa. Oh, yeah, very fast. I mean, obviously I struggled a bit on beginning. I mean, even I've won, but I'm pretty sure I said even after the win that I still know where we want to be. It was such a different uh, things uh, between the two teams and the tyres and everything. But, you know, definitely had to get my best out uh, every time to try to beat him. And probably I was a bit stronger in in race uh, than I was in qualifying. And Compared to him? 
Yeah, I mean, I still could, uh, you know, beat him in qualifying here and there, and uh, I think it was quite even. But uh, he's uh, he's been very fast guy in, on yeah. one lap always. Roman Grosjean. We're now at Lotus. Yeah, obviously, then we were quite different as our career. I had much more experience. Obviously, I came back from being away a few years, but to me, it felt like very normal. It didn't feel like I somehow was a long time away, and it felt quite normal to me to come back and or driving the car. So he was more to starting. I think he did one year on some point before, but um, again, he can be really fast on one lap. And then for sure on the race, he had more difficulties, especially to start with, and then he kind of was improving. So Was it always smooth going at Lotus? Because I, I, I'm reminded of a radio conversation that happened. I think it was India. Kimmy, get out of the way. Around the outside goes Grosjean and he forces him wide as Kimmy Raikkonen. Yeah, and, and Grosjean having to go off the track there as well and now allowing Raikkonen to take the place back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, uh, yeah, but was okay, it, it wasn't uh, Alan between Pomaine us. got on the blower, didn't he? It wasn't between us as the drivers. Yeah. And it was a bit heated with the team. And I think it got a bit uh, more heated because of how things uh, end up there. And like I said, it's a shame because it was a great team and great group of people. And uh, But then uh, with all the issues they have, uh, a lot of people start leaving and kind of, we all know what happened after that. So then it's back to Ferrari. Fernando Alonso. Now, obviously, you'd raced him closely when you were at McLaren in the mid-2000s. What was it like having him as a teammate? I think he's always been very good. As a teammate, I, I cannot say that there was something odd happening. In like as a, as between us, I mean, uh, and for sure I didn't have a very good year. I didn't, uh, for many reasons, I didn't do that well. But um, you know, we all know he's fast uh, in in every every weekend. So, and as a driver, do you like? Having a teammate who is one of the best, as in Fernando Alonso, or, or do you prefer? Or do you prefer? I remember Gerhard Berger saying that his ideal teammate was the one who was a second a lap slower. But <laughs> <laughs> um, how is it for you? I mean, in the end, we don't. At least I've never been in a position to pick up who's my teammate is. So you know, it's it's it could be anybody, and um, I think in a way it's good because you kind of you know pushes always and you push each other and uh, I don't see any negative on it if you purely look the uh, I don't know the numbers of this or qualifyings and this and that maybe then uh, some people are more interested in those honestly I'm not so fast about it and if I don't win in qualifying uh, my teammate and uh, uh, to me the race has always been the important part of the weekend have you enjoyed renewing your rivalry with Alonso this year? Does it feel different this year compared to 2014 or, or the mid-2000s when you were both fighting um, for the championship? I mean, we have, been, we have had some good battles this year and end up racing uh, against each other. And uh, Is it different? I, I don't know. Obviously, we are both in different part of our, like, in the careers that we were in those days. And... Uh, I think one thing that you will notice that you can race with him very closely as we always always was the same same thing and you know you kind of know what's going to happen and what's not going to happen so in that way yes it's different you kind of get what you expect and maybe with some other people you are not so sure What about Sebastian Vettel then? Obviously great guy we had a good uh, good relationship always and uh, very particular on his working <laughs> he works hard doesn't he <laughs> uh, you know what is hard what is not hard but it's very you know it might take a while you know he's writing all those notes isn't it yeah but then everybody has to a different way you know it doesn't always you know people always oh oh he must work hard because he lives the last you know no him but as generally but it's like if you've done your work if you're only gonna stay at the paddock or whatever it is for an, an uh, extra three hours to make sure that you're last, that you look good. Uh, you know, people can do what they want and I'll do my job. And uh, when I'm happy that everything is done as we wish uh, with engineers, I I leave. And it, it it's not always, you know, we all have a different way of working and different things what we want to look and see. And, 
you know. Kimmy, as a guy who's won the world championship for Ferrari, Sebastian came on this podcast and said he used the word failure to describe his time at Ferrari. I failed, he said. Do you think he's being harsh? Was it harsh on himself? Was it a case of just... Like I said, we're all here to try to win. And if you don't win, um, you know, it's kind of been a failure in many ways. You know, I don't mean it as a, as a bad way. There could be endless reasons for it. But, uh, you know, we are here, especially when you're in a team that we it's expected to win as a team. You know, you could say that this uh, is a failure or it's um, kind of the year didn't count much, but, uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's what happens. Would you say that Seb was the guy you had the best relationship with? I mean, the best teammate relationship? I, I mean, I have with Antonio very good because also obviously we've been now three years in the same team, but he was at the Ferrari when I was there. Uh, so... Uh, I think it's very similar because Antonio was involved in a lot of things that even those years, so we knew each other already, but uh, yeah, probably the closest uh, of anyone as a driver, for sure, Seb and, uh, and Antonio, but also with Seb, we used to live very close to each other, so we kind of spent some time outside of the the race. Interesting you mentioned Antonio. Obviously, I was going to ask you about him. Do you think he deserves another crack at Formula One? Yeah, I'm sure he deserves, but then, you know, it's not in my hands. It's probably not in his hand the last, last say, so that's how F1 is. Do you feel sorry for him as someone who's been around in Formula One for so long? Does he have what it takes? I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure he has. Uh, you know, it depends what you, where do you compare and, and how do you look it, but Again, it's you know it doesn't always mean it's, it's F1 is not as straightforward as a sport. You know that even if you do well, you might end up without a car a year after, and that's F1. That is F1. So, Kimmy, who do you owe the most to in your career? Is it a team boss, a friend, or or someone else? Of course, my parents. Without them, obviously, I wouldn't be be here at all in the first place. But then, obviously, there's a lot of people on the way. You know, it's uh, them making it possible on beginning, and then we had uh, our cousins' parents were helping uh, at one point when we really struggled, and uh, you know, endless amount of people, obviously, on the way. For sure, people that I don't even remember or even know in beginnings, but. yeah, later on, then um, Robert Jones, uh, without them for sure, I would would stay in uh, in Kokon and uh, later part, obviously, family and my own family and uh, yeah, a lot of people, Marky, and you know, it's, it's, there's not just a one, <laughs> one guy or, or woman or anybody. The Mark Kimmy just mentioned there is Mark Arnold, his therapist and trainer. Mark's been by Kimmy's side for almost his entire F1 career, and very few people know the Iceman better. Since the end of 2001, I've worked with him, and uh, honestly, he's been a great boss. It's uh, The funny thing is, I don't really view him so much as a boss, and uh, I'm sure he doesn't really view me so much as an employee after all these years. But uh, no, it's been great. I don't think it would have lasted this long um, if there would have been uh, any sort of real issues. How would you sum up his approach to Formula One? I mean, he just loves the driving. He wants to turn up, drive as quickly as possible and go, as I think everyone knows, he's not a big fan of the PR side of things. So uh, I I think his interest is purely in the driving side. Um, But he's always had that passion for driving. He's ultra competitive in everything he does, to be perfectly honest, not just the driving. So uh, I I think, like I say, from from a driving point of view, if he could just walk here, get in the car, drive it and leave, he'd be perfectly happy. Now, over these past two decades, when do you think he was at his peak? Um, I mean, obviously in the McLaren times, I think everything gelled really well in McLaren. Um, he was he had a great team of people around him. He had a great car. Um, he had some great opportunities to win. He was young. I think when you're younger like that, you take more risks. And I think uh, his driving style fitted very well with the car, with the tyres at that time. Also sort of leading into the uh, early Ferrari years, I think he was still sort of super quick. But I think if I was to name one time, I'd say the McLaren time. 
Have there been any physical issues along the way that even perhaps we didn't even hear about? Kimmy had a big crash in Sauber, so I wasn't working with him that year. That was 2001, um, and I think he hit the wall at 200 miles an hour in Magnicor and uh, had a degenerative disc in his uh, lower back as a, as a result, and that's taken a little bit of uh, work to stabilise, fix. But um, other than that, no no major problems, sort of small bumps, doing things like motocross, skidoo, that um, I'm sure the team bosses weren't so happy he was doing at the time, but he, he's, he bounces well. What do you think has been his best race? Best race. Um, I mean, the ones that I enjoyed the most and I thought gave me the sort of biggest buzz, I think, would have been Austin in 2018. Um, his last race with the uh, last win with Ferrari. And I think other than that, probably Japan 2005. Just sort of I was hanging over the pit wall and I could just see him sort of get ahead of Fisichella sort of before he went through the first corner. So I, I think those two would probably be the standouts. Was Kimi a big one to celebrate his wins? He always struck me as a guy who moved on pretty quick. But Yeah, I, I think from the races that weren't so good, he moves on very quick. He shuts the, the, the page on that pretty fast. If things hadn't gone so well, he moves on for sure. It's uh, I think the celebrations, I think every driver celebrates sort of uh, wins, championships, all that sort of stuff. So uh, yeah, he's, he's celebrated pretty well over the years. Guy he has, hasn't he? In fact, that, that's an interesting point, Mark. Kimi has done it differently to everybody else. When he goes off partying, and he has talked about uh, the previous time he was on the podcast, he talked about this two-week bender he went on and stuff like that. I mean, it must be a massive headache for someone like you. Or do you feel that you need the off time as well as the on time? Yeah, it's a really interesting thing because, I mean, it, it, it does create some issues for sure. I can remember a few phone calls from Ron Dennis when Kimmy woke up on a rubber dolphin in Ibiza. Thankfully, I wasn't there. But the, the phone call and the introduction from him wasn't particularly great. I think I had a few P45s filed at the time. But I think it's one of these sort of things in sport. You can say what is correct, what is not. But I think what people never really understand is that anyone performing at the sort of level these guys perform at, or in any sport, whether it's basketball, football, sometimes you just need a release. And if that's what gets your head in the right place and sorts you out, and that's what you know you need, just the break and, and the party, then uh, I think it takes um, a very understanding sort of team boss if you like to actually say okay if he needs that then let him go have the have the party get it out of his system and then come back and perform it's uh, like I said I think it happens in in many sports and uh, to try and stop that from happening to say you can't do it um, doesn't work very well Mark it's the end of an era how emotional is Kimmy leaving for you Obviously, like I say, it's been a it's been a great experience. We're we're privileged in a way to spend um, a, a career with these guys, sort of going through the whole Formula One thing. It does get emotional. It's like I think it's like being here in Brazil. It's like what was it 14 years ago we won the world championship here, and um, and it's just crazy to think back to all those times. And I, I think it will probably sink in more afterwards because we're traveling so much at the minute. But every time I kind of like come to a race, I'm like, oh, is this going to be the last one? It's definitely the last one with with Kimi. And there are lots of memories you have, good and bad, that have happened in all of these different places. And uh, I think, like I say, it is emotional on lots of different levels. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how I feel afterwards, after the season finishes. I think that's probably when it will hit me the most. Shed a tear? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> this is Kimi Räikkönen getting very close indeed uh, to Nicholas Latifi. Yeah, good reactions there, cat-like reactions from Kimmy, might be the oldest driver on the grid. Yeah, it's got the cat-like reaction today before he takes the uh, cat-like pose on the sofa next year. We are certainly going to miss him. So, Kimmy, retirement. <laughs> You're a long time retired. You're only 42. Do you see it Holy. as retirement? <laughs> Do you see it as retirement or is it just part two of your life? I mean, for sure, retirement as an as a F1. Uh, you know, but like I said, I retired already once, <laughs> and in my head at least ten times. But <laughs> you know, um, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I mean, it's the end of F1, but uh, I'm I'm looking more forward to the, you know whatever will come afterwards. So. How do you think you're going to feel when we're all in Bahrain next year? Good. <laughs> you, <you'll> <laughs> <laughs> will and you watch? Will you watch? I don't know. I mean, honestly, I didn't watch much at all when I was away two years. Um, I think I watched some 
some races when it happens to be on TV and I was watching TV. But like, I'm definitely not gonna put the alarm on that okay, this is a race happening. And uh, But uh, I'm sure I will see some races. Uh, but when I was last time away, I end up, actually I was at Monaco race, but I never saw cars apart from TV, so. Uh, how, can you, how can you be in Monaco and not see a car? Maybe we have, we in a different time zone. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, oh, Kimmy, that reminds me of when, uh, when yeah. you were last on the pod, you were telling us uh, about a 16-day binge, drinking binge that you went on. I think oh, you was... were probably, I'm not. But you were asking. <laughs> it was between Bahrain and uh, Spain, I think you said, and then you were finished on the podium. Yeah. You know you said earlier in the pod you did it your way. You most certainly did, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, good or bad, I, I had a good time. So look, family is clearly important to you. Can we just talk about that a bit now? I mean, Robin is doing some motocross, a little bit of karting. Is Rihanna a petrol head as well? Yeah, I mean, she seems to enjoy speed quite a bit. So um, she's been asking for a while to, um, to go and drive go-kart. And actually we have Robin's old, uh, the small go-kart. So that's it. And now she's grown up a bit and uh, is listening a bit better. so i feel more comfortable to let her drive now and now it's the winter and uh, i don't know but latest next year so she's been on a motocross bike um, on her own like this summer i put her on it i mean i i drove a small motocross bike with her many times already for a couple of years and let her do to turn the throttle and things and uh, this summer she was doing um, on her own but she has the stabilizers now she knows how to ride a bicycle so we could basically take them out but uh, yeah, put her on her own and yeah, she likes to likes to and she has a, actually have a uh, you know she knows where to brake and when to brake and throttle off and on so it's basically the same what we practiced with Robin for months before I let him to go on his own are we going to see them pursuing a career behind the wheel? I don't know. I, I, honestly, I don't know. And um, I mean, Robin seems to enjoy go-kart when we when we been there. Otherwise, we wouldn't have gone. But um, you know, one day it's um, I don't know ten laps, and then there's other things interesting on uh, at the at the paddock. But um, some days it's fifty or sixty laps, and. Uh, then he asked, I want to go every day. But obviously, I've been away a lot, so that also limits a lot uh, when we can go. But um, I don't know. I think we're going to see you back in a Formula One paddock For being doing a racing what? dad. Doing, <laughs> I, I, don't know that. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I mean, if she, if he wants to or she wants to do something, I don't know. Well, I hope they found something. They tried different sports and found something they're interested and um, you know it's much better to do different things and try to find something that they're really interested in than doing nothing or hang around at the stations and uh, doing some naughtiness so um, time will tell but uh, if that happens yes but on no other reason I'm not going to be here What does your wife Mintu make of their interest in motorsport? Um, is she a petrol head? Does she love it as much as the rest of us? I think if the weather is good, <laughs> but uh, no, she is, obviously she likes to see it when they are happy and doing different things. And uh, I think for sure, as a as a mother, there's a bit more worried on things. But uh, especially with Robin, uh, she can see uh, how you know smartly he, he he drives and not doing any craziness. So she's a bit more relaxed. But with Rihanna being so small and still learning, she's a bit. Uh, no worried, but when I'm with them and doing things, she's, she's relaxed. But uh, say even I would want uh, somebody else to. Uh, and Kimmy, what things. what about? I know you, you've said endlessly that you don't know what you're going to do, but let's assume for a minute that you just continue to do what you do in between the races. Now, what is that? Is that motocross? Is that you know what gets you out of the house? I mean, I don't. I do motocross when I have time, and obviously. Do you still have your own team? Yeah, yeah, and uh, in Switzerland it's a bit difficult. Obviously, our team is based in Belgium, so it's not that far away. In Finland, it's easier because we have a track at home. But 
you know, normal things, very normal things. We try to be a lot outside doing normal things. If the kids like to go, I don't know, skate parks to use their scooters or, or bicycles and we go bicycling well together and very, very normal things. And are you interested in business? Are we going to see an internet startup by, by Kimi Riker? <laughs> Probably not. But uh, I mean, obviously, I'm sure I found something to do. And uh, But honestly, I don't, I don't even have interest to think about it too much now because uh, the, one of the reasons why also I want to stop that, I don't want the schedule to run my schedule to dictate the whole family's life in many ways and uh, I don't feel that I want right now to plan massively something and to know that oh come February that I have big plans you know I want to just see what happens and uh, if I do something or not then what it will be and so is it all my, you want to put other people first yeah for sure I mean and I want to spend time at home uh, more and not having that you know the knowing that uh Next uh, Wednesday, I need to go to wherever it is. So uh, I like to be at home, uh, do normal things. And obviously, a lot of people said, oh, you're going to get crazy after, I don't know, half a year. But uh, I like it at home. You know, I always say that maybe you should find another home or <laughs> another people in your home if you, if you feel like that. I, I have no issue to stay there. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Do you think you'll stay in touch with anyone from Formula One or do you just want a complete break? No, I'm from sure I stay. You know, a lot of friends over the years and uh, people that um, I stay touch even when there's no racing. And uh, I, don't, I don't see, you know, people, feel people are like, oh, it's sad we don't see. But I mean, we, these days we have phones at least, so, you know, and we can see outside if, if we wish. And uh, obviously... It's it's complete. Even over the weekend, when you see your friends or I don't know, you talk. It's it's always in a hurry, and we all rushing all all different directions and meetings and this and that. So uh, I think it generally is anyhow much nicer when you kind of meet up uh, outside. And what will you miss most about this crazy world of Formula One? Uh, racing. What bit? Is it when the lights go no, out? No, the racing, uh, the driving part, basically. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's for sure the race is why we are here. And uh, But I, I, I honestly don't feel that I'm going to miss it that much. I'm sure there's the days that, oh, yeah, it would be nice to do racing, but then there's an endless amount of different categories and different um, uh, things that you can race. So, What about in the days when you were fighting for pole positions, that final lap in Q3, is that the thing that, really got you i don't think i've never been a big fan of that i'm more fan of race than uh, than qualify really is it the race the cars on the limit we are here why, why the fastest laps of the weekend in q3 <laughs> i mean it's, it's the reason why we are here working the whole weekend or from friday to sunday is the end result of the race so that's to me always been the most interesting and you know you need to be on the limit whatever if it's two seconds slower because the fuel level doesn't mean that you're not on the limit if you're not on the limit you probably not try to go fast enough but uh, that's uh, i always been i think more fun of that so kimmy how do you want to be remembered by formula one fans around the world However, they wish, you know, I don't want to put some kind of limits on how you remember. I mean, I I don't care much because I, like I said, I luckily been able to do most of the things how I wish to do it. And whatever they remember, good way or bad way, it's 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 a memory and it's it's fine for me. I find that extraordinary because. You have been one, the Iceman has been one of the most popular drivers. You have this huge fan following. Um, yeah, but uh, I don't know. People ask why, but I, I don't know. Maybe because I always be myself. And Is that what the fans have loved about you the most, do you think? You've got to ask the fans to come here and spend lovely 45 minutes with you <laughs> <laughs> to discuss that. But uh, I... I I don't have an answer for maybe this, uh, you know. Well, Kimmy, good luck with whatever comes next. I, for one, have loved watching you, talking to you over the last 20 years. 
It's been a good ride. Not much to complain or nothing. I cannot complain. You know? It's been uh, good and bad, but that's anything. Because when you do 20 years something, there's going to be good moments and bad moments. Thank you, Kim. What a legend. As Kimmy says, when you do something for as long as he's driven in F1, there are going to be good moments and bad moments. And that's what's made his career so colourful. I loved hearing his recollections and his honesty, the way he explained the simplicity of his approach and how he drove using pure feeling with no brake markers, for example, was fascinating. That's proper talent, you could say. I could have guessed his favourite car, the 2005 McLaren, but he surprised me with his favourite engine. I expected him to go for the V10 era, but he chose the current V6 turbo hybrids, which is really encouraging on many levels because Kimi always tells it as it is. Good luck in retirement, Kimi, and enjoy your time with the family. We'll miss you in Formula One, and fingers crossed we'll continue to see you in the paddock. And many thanks to Mark Arnold as well. It was great to get his insights on Kimmy. And good luck with the travel fit business you're setting up, Mark. I think it's made for someone like me. Now, as ever, please remember to send in your thoughts and stories on Kimmy. How much have you loved having him in Formula One? Is there a best race that you want to share? Let me know. And remember, I'll read out the best ones next week. Which brings me on to what you sent in about Pedro Deniz after last week's episode. It was wonderful to hear from Pedro again, and our conversation triggered a lot of nostalgia. Let's start with this from Paul Leggett. Loved the Pedro podcast, he says. I remember arguing with my late dad about him, who said he was just a pay driver, a tag that he had at the time. My point was that no one gets to F1 on just money alone, and I think Pedro proved this. I agree with you, Paul. And Pedro really could be fast on occasion too, couldn't he? Next up, let's hear from Ivor McIverface. I loved hearing from Pedro Deniz and especially his thoughts about flow. I'm wondering how many times he's read flow by Mihaly Sixzent Mihaly. Love Tom's insight and Pedro's candor. I wonder, Ivor, Pedro has certainly worked out the importance of the mind in the years since his retirement, hasn't he? Next, let's hear from Leverage1990. This interview was a really pleasant surprise and brought back memories from childhood watching F1 religiously. It's great to hear that Pedro is doing well, and it's really interesting to hear what former drivers do after their racing careers. Childhood memories, Leverage 1990. Now you're making me feel old, but I'm glad you enjoyed hearing from Pedro again. And finally, let's hear this from Oliver Beck. This is what we need. More, please. Would love to hear Frentzen, Fisichella and Irvine too. Pedro was often seen as a pay driver, but he really took the fight to some of the best. Take a look at his excellent drive to fifth at the 1997 Luxembourg Grand Prix. Well, you're bang on right there, Oliver. Pedro drove some great races. And yes, I'll continue to try and speak to the other drivers of the era. I'll have to leave it there in the interests of time. But as ever, we got lots more messages. And thank you to everyone who wrote in. We love hearing what you have to say. And please remember to send in your thoughts and stories on Kimmy. That's all for now. I'll be back next week for one final episode before Christmas. So see you then. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out.